So, I want to start off by showing you some photos. And um, I'll show you this photo first. Now, this photo, if you don't, imagine if you didn't know any background but beside, behind this guy, who this man is, where's he been, where he's going. It just doesn't mean anything to you, does it? This one might show you a little bit more. So if you start to realize a little bit behind the story, suddenly it means a little bit more. But if you realize the full story, that this guy had been spending many, many, many months of his life fighting, risking his life in World War II, nearly being killed, most of his friends being killed, just staring death in the face and the horrendous ugliness of war every day, suddenly that story makes more sense. The picture makes more sense. How about this one? This is a really sad picture. What is, who is this guy? What is he doing? Does anyone know? Is he just tired? Has he drunk too much? Well, this is actually a German soldier returning home after World War II to find his family, have, his home are all gone. In fact, his whole town is gone. It's been completely destroyed. And often we don't appreciate the Bible the story of the gospel, the story of people, because we don't know the, the background, the, what happened, the terrible things that happened at the start, the cataclysmic, absolutely horrendous things, way worse than this, that happened at the start. And because we forget that, because we, and rightly so, we focus so much on God's love and grace and peace and goodness, and rightly so, thank you Lord for those amazing truths, we can actually have a dodgy foundation because we forget our background we forget our story we forget where we came from and if we don't have that our foundation is really wonky our foundation is it's not right it's like a sand foundation and I don't know if you've I, I, I certainly have I've had thoughts in my mind that actually if you analyse them They're probably from a dodgy foundation. Like, God, I've been serving you all these years. I've done all this for you. Why aren't you doing this for me? God, this, this thought of entitlement creeps in. God, surely you should be doing this for me. And this, before we know it, life is about us. Or like Andy mentioned before, things, even things like, why would God care who I sleep with or who, or what gender person I sleep with or or marry, or same-sex marriage. Why would God care about these things? Why is, God, why is that view of God just so weird? Why would God be so mean? It's because, hang on, we've forgotten the story. It's when we forget the story, we forget our history, the fool. If we don't have that foundation of the fool, then we, our foundation is so dodgy that the enemy creeps in with all these thoughts. And before we know it, God has just become this little, cheerful, chirpy little God whose one purpose in life is to make us comfortable and happy and nice. And, but if we go back to the beginning, we realize, oh my goodness, that is so wrong. God's job is not to make us happy. God, we have no entitlement with God. We have no rights with God. All of us, we are so blessed to be alive. 
it's a wonder that God didn't snuff out all of us in an instant. That is the foundation that we have to have, that the universe was only created for one thing. We were created for one thing, to honour him, to glorify him, and rightly so, because he is God. And to be God, you have to, you have to be all about the glory of God, otherwise you wouldn't be God. That is the role of God. But we have forgotten our foundation so easily, and we've made God all about life being nice for us, um, life being fair for us. So Paul is taking us on this, this journey in Romans. We're doing the Romans course, and I just find this so helpful. In, in um, the first bit, I think John looked at it a couple of weeks ago, God. Um, Paul said that everyone who believes in Jesus, God's power is at work in your life and has given you salvation and righteousness. Wow. But now Paul's trying to show us, so what? Why do we need God's power? Why do we need God's righteousness and salvation? Why? What's the point in God's power in our lives? Why? Surely we're good people. And he pulled today... In fact, last week with Andy, I was away, but last week with Andy and this week, Paul is taking us down low to show us our history, to show us the truth of our foundation, where we came from. So today we're looking at our desperate need for salvation. And now, it's easy to think this is a really just depressing subject, but actually, and this is true, the people in church history who have been the most full of joy, the happiest, the most filled with love and power and delight are the people who've understood this the most. It's, it's when we forget our foundation that we become a bit fed up with God. Like, God, why, why does it say this in your Bible? How dare you do this, God? It's because we've forgotten our background this will release, if you allow it this morning, it will release joy and delight in God and thankfulness in Jesus. Oh, he is so good to us. So good to us. So in chapter 1, um, um, Paul, in chapter 1, sorry, just quickly show this again. Paul told us, he told us that all godless people are completely, completely lost. And need salvation in Jesus. Then in chapter 2 he told us that all religious people are completely lost. And can never get to God. Never get to heaven. And they need salvation in Jesus. Now today is like Paul's summary. It's like in Romans 3. It's like his knockout blow. Where just once and for all he just finishes off any argument. Any thought that maybe we are good enough by ourselves. And Anthea read out that amazing summary. It's probably the best section of text in the Bible just to show us how much we really need Jesus for salvation. Jesus said, He who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven much loves much. And I pray for us this morning that God will put a new foundation in us to realize how much we've been forgiven. It is truly wonderful. And in times in church history, the church sometimes has focused probably maybe a little bit too much on God's wrath and God's anger. 
that maybe now we're in a time where we focus maybe almost solely on God's love and peace and grace. Maybe we need a third way, a Jesus way. You know, Jesus talked a lot about God's love, for God so loved the world, but he talked an awful lot about wrath and hell. Maybe we don't need the extreme ways, we need the Jesus way, where we hold both together all the time. So let's just quickly, we're going to just, and you can follow it in your Bible if you want, in Romans 3. We're going to just look at six verses really quickly, then I'll summarize and we'll pray. So the first verse. Oh, sorry. Here's just, <laughs> I don't know if this is helpful, but this, I found this quite good. This is a definition of sin. Sin is the, res- the revolt of the self against God. The dethronement of God with a view of the enthronement of, of oneself. So, let's look at verse 9 of Romans 3. Sorry. It says this, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. And Paul, he, like, it's almost like he's talking about sin as, you can imagine, a country that you live in. If you are... If you, are not yet in Jesus, if you haven't received Jesus, you dwell, you live, you are a resident of the country of sin, where sin is this cruel tyrant that completely enslaves you, controls you, oppresses you, and there's nothing you could ever do to get out of that country. You are locked in the country of sin. But if you come to Jesus, then you are in the country of grace, no longer ever again to be in the country of sin. So according to Paul, There are only two categories of human beings, those in sin and those in grace. And everybody is in one of those categories. And we need to realise that the fall of man that created this country of sin that people live in in Barnet is the most cataclysmic, most devastating event that has ever happened in the world Forget global warming or climate change or world wars. Those are just little symptoms of the main bad thing. The fall of man was cataclysmic. It was devastating. And how did this disaster happen to us? Well, because this guy here, it says in Romans 5, God made him to be our representative. Adam, he was the representative of you whether we like it or not, and of me. So it says in Romans 5, when Adam chose to sin, Adam and Eve, when they chose to rebel against God, to dethrone God in their hearts, to put themselves on the throne, that was so wicked and evil. That is also now what we've done. Because he's our representative. That's what we were born into. We don't have any choice. It's just the way it is. And by some incredible act of grace... The human race still, still exists. We don't know. It's just because of the sheer love and mercy of God. So all of us who are in Adam, and now we need a new rep- representative. We need the second Adam. We need this guy here. We need Jesus. But the Bible says in Ephesians 2 as well that we are, all of us, before Jesus in our lives, we're dead. 
in our sins. We're under God's wrath. I find this verse really amazing. Psalm 51, 5. Surely, David said, I was sinful even at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And that's because our position in Adam isn't down to our sin. It was actually down to his sin. It's just what we've inherited. And then we just add to it and add to it and add to it with our sin. Romans 5 says we are all enemies of God. That's terrifying to be an enemy of the almighty God. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. Death is what we deserve. And you know when you, you do a job and you get paid money, well, the job that we've done, we are, are being paid death. Now for us, Jesus took that death. He took our wages. He took it, the punishment upon himself. So we've just looked at the, verse 9, that everyone is in the power, under the power of sin. Now let's look at verse 10 and verse 12 a little bit, because they're kind of the same. Um, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one does good, in verse 12. Not even one. Now Paul keeps... Paul loves repetition when something is really important and he keeps repeating that nobody, no one, no one, not even one. This is universal. God looks at the world and he doesn't see a single righteous or good person. Now we often think of people who aren't Christian. We think, oh, he's a good guy or she's a good person. God says, no, no, we are not good. We are desperately wicked and sinful in our hearts before we receive Jesus. Obviously, it's true that people can always get worse, and people are never as bad as they could be, potentially. But people's best behaviors, best acts, are never good enough, not nearly good enough. And when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, they reflected his nature. They were part of, like, they reflected the divine nature, and they were righteous. They had the same righteousness as God. And then it was completely ruined. We no longer have that righteousness by ourselves anymore. So there is no one righteous and no one good. Verse 11. There is no one who understands. Now you might think here Paul's being a bit harsh, a bit mean. Surely some people understand. So again, this is talking about non-Christians, people who haven't received Jesus. Surely with all our education and sophistication in our culture, God says, absolutely not. Nobody, before they're a Christian, has any understanding. They don't understand the divine nature. They don't understand, like Adam and Eve did, that we are spirit beings with a body. Verse 12. And there is no one who seeks God. You might again think, Paul, this is a bit unfair. Surely some Christians are seeking after God. God says, no, they're not. They're absolutely not. Sometimes they might be trying to fulfill a need in their life, trying to fill a hole in their life. But ultimately, it's totally self-centered. There is no one who seeks God. And I found this helpful, that to seek God is to make... His glory, our supreme concern. 
Okay? It's the word of God, guys. It's the word of God. It, his glory is our supreme concern. And for all of us here, that's why we're here, because his glory is our supreme concern. I know that in, our heart, in your hearts. But before you're a Christian, that can never be true of you. And God just looks at non-Christians and says, no, they're not seeking me. They're seeking themselves. So if anyone is seeking after God, and this is wonderful, if you're seeking after God this morning, why is it? It's because he's seeking after you. He's seeking your heart. And out, we were out on the high street yesterday. We were chatting with people and praying with people. And we pray, God, seek their hearts. Wake them up. Open their eyes. And you can just see little glimpses every now and then. And if someone gets saved, it's just the grace, the glory of God. It's not our own works. He's opening people's eyes. Um, so just two more quick ones. Verse 12. They have together become worthless. This is what God says. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, worthless here, the word for it is the same word as curdled or spoiled milk. So imagine God's making a cup of tea and he finds the milk is just curdled and rotten. That's how God sees the state of man. It's worthless. It'd be like trying to jump over Niagara Falls. That's how worthless our own righteousness is, our own goodness it's just worthless. It's filthy rags, as Isaiah 64 says, and Paul said. Paul said, I was the best, the most religious Pharisee ever, yet my righteousness was just filthy rags. It was worthless. And then the last one is the most offensive of, as, of all. Now please, bear with me, because this foundation is so important for our souls. <laughs> Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Now, I've, I don't know if you've ever seen an open grave. I remember in China seeing some graves that had been robbed in the middle of this little village area. There were just these big holes everywhere. And I was thinking, what are these holes? And they were just all graves that had been dug up. An open grave would stink... It would be rotten. And God says, every non-Christian in the world, he looks at our throats, our mouths, our words, and he said it's an open grave. And we need to realize that. This is how much we need salvation. He says we're like vipers with poison. And Paul says it's universal. Unconditionally, everybody. No exceptions. These sobering truths are vital for us to meditate on. Because, why? Because they cause us to cling to our Christ, to cling to our Saviour. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and rescuing us from being open graves, from being poisonous vipers. And boy, we need to pray for our friends, for our neighbours, for Barnet. I just want to finish with reading a little bit of an amazing, probably the most famous sermon that's ever been preached. Anyone guess what it is? Jonathan Edwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. I just find it really, because it fills me with joy. Now, I don't think we should preach like this these days, because I think generally we should focus on God's love and grace. But it doesn't mean it's not true, okay? I just want to read you a few verses, a few bits of this, um, this, this talk. 
And when he preached it in the 1700s, 500 people got saved that day. And as he was reading it out, he used to just read his notes in a really boring way. People started fainting, screaming, and hiding under the pews. Apparently there were scratch marks on the pews because, people, because the conviction of God came upon people. And you know what? Maybe we need a little bit of that. Maybe, maybe we do. And then it spread. People went out. They went home, told their friends, and 500 people became Christians because of this sermon. And it helped spark the, the great renewal in America where 50,000 people got saved. So, the bow, I'll just put a photo of him. What's wrong with his hands? I don't know. <laughs> but this is Jonathan Edwards. <laughs> the bow of God's wrath is bent, and the arrow made ready on the string, and justice bends the arrow at your heart, and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the, the mere pleasure of God, and that of an angry God, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment, from being made drunk with your blood. Thus all, all you that never passed under a great change of heart by the mighty power of the Spirit of God upon your souls, all you that were never born again and made new creatures and raised from being dead in sin to a state of new and before altogether unex, unexperienced light and life, you are in the hands of an angry God It is nothing but his mere pleasure that keeps you from being this moment swallowed up in everlasting destruction. The God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over a fire, he abhors sin and is dreadfully provoked. His wrath towards you burns like a fire. He looks upon you as worthy of nothing else but to be cast into the fire. He is of purer eyes than to bear to have you in his sight. Your sin is 10,000 times more abominable in his eyes than the most hateful venomous serpent is in ours. You have offended him infinitely more than ever a stubborn rebel did offend his prince. And yet it is nothing but his hand that holds you from falling into the fire every moment. It is to be described to nothing else that you did not go to hell last night after you closed your eyes to sleep. And there is no other reason to be given why you have not dropped into hell since you arose in the morning, but that God's hand has held you up. O sinner, consider the fearful danger you are in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide bottomless pit full of fire of wrath that you are held over in the hand of that God whose wrath is provoked and incensed as much against you as against many of the damned in hell. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. And you have nothing to lay hold of to save yourself, nothing to keep off the flames of wrath, nothing of your own, nothing that you have ever done, nothing that you could ever do to induce God to spare you For one moment. God, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God. Let's just pray. Let's just thank him. God, we worship you. We thank you that you've rescued us. Lord, we are loved unconditionally. Thank you. We are saved forever unconditionally. 
we are your precious daughters and sons with your inheritance. But Lord, I pray for each one of us right now that you would open our eyes to the reality of the fall and of sin and of hell. Come and open our eyes, Lord. And Lord, I ask that we would be the happiest people on this planet, the most joyful, most thankful people on this planet. And I ask that we would rush out of this place and tell as many people as we can that they need the Saviour in their lives. They need to cling to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So it's quite a heavy word, and we'll probably never preach like that again in this church, but it's an important foundation. Please let it sink into your heart, and it will bring you joy. Okay, amen. Amen. Let us bow our heads in prayer.